This morning, uh, we are continuing in our series uh, about Jacob. So last week we kicked it off, and this is our second week. And uh, the story of Jacob is found in the, in the book of Genesis. Much of the second half of Genesis is really about Jacob. And so uh, this morning we're going to look at chapter 25, verses 27 through 34. So I invite you to hear these Words. Genesis says that when the boys, being Jacob and Esau, grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff, for I am famished. Therefore, he was called Edom. And Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, on this somewhat gloomy day, we gather around this morning the light of your word. And we pray, God, that you would open up our eyes and our ears to what you would have to say to us. In this ancient story, might it speak to us of how we live in this 2018. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So as we we begin the second week of Jacob, I thought it would be good to just briefly either remind you if you were here last week or inform you if you weren't here last week what we talked about last week, which is what happened is that Isaac and Rebekah, who Isaac is the son of Abraham, and Abraham has been promised that God was going to build a nation out of him, a nation that was going to be blessed in order to be a blessing. In other words, they weren't just there for themselves. And that was great, except for the fact that Abraham and Sarah were having trouble having children. Finally, at a very old age, they finally had children, and the one through whom the nation was supposed to be built is Isaac. Well, that's great, as you may recall, except for the fact that Isaac and Rebekah were struggling with having children, and so they began to pray. And finally, 20 years later, 20 years later, they were finally able to uh, get pregnant. So there was great joy, of course, as you would imagine. Uh, But then it ends up that she had twins, Rebecca did, inside of her, and they weren't doing very well. At least they weren't making her feel well. So she went to the Lord, and she asked the Lord, what is going on here? What is happening? And so the Lord told her that this is not good news, really, that that there were going to be two nations and that they were going to be at odds with one another, that they were going to be fighting with one another. But not only that, but that the younger would be served by the elder, something virtually unheard of in that time and that place. 
Finally, thankfully for Rebekah, the children were born. Esau was red and hairy. He came out first. Jacob came out grabbing onto Esau's heel, which is a great foreshadowing of what is to come in the rest of our story. And that's where we ended last Sunday. And we don't know much about when they were little, but all of a sudden we kind of skip forward to when they're perhaps late teens, early 20s. It's hard to say. And we come to discover that Jacob and Esau are very, very different. Esau, Esau is an outdoorsman. He's a VIP member at Cabela's. He kind of built his own deer stand. And he, you know, he loves being outdoors. He has a couple cars that are out on the blocks. And on the weekends, he likes to go and kind of tinker with them. Uh, Esau, you know, Esau is one of those, when you go to the closet, it's full of like flannel and orange vests. I mean, he, he loves, he's, he loves the outdoors. This is, this is Esau, right? Picture that. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's somebody you know. That's Esau. And then you have Jacob, Right? And Jacob is not outdoorsy. He's what uh, comedian Jim Gaffigan would call indoorsy. Right? He, he likes being inside. He's got, a, he's got a little library inside of his tent. Uh, he likes to watch tent hunters on HGTV. He, uh, you know, he just, he loves, he's got, you know, you, you look inside of his closet. It also has flannels, but it's like the snapping kind of buttons, you know, not the, the regular kind. He's got North Face vest, if you will. This is, this is really picture, picture, if you will. Right, This is someone who never looks underneath the hood of his car, and if he did, he would have no idea what he was looking at. Right, this, He looks like me, quite frankly. Right, Soft hands. This is who Jacob is. They're very, very different people. Right, and, and if you, again, we talked about this not long ago, if you have uh, even more than one child, even especially of the same gender, you realize how surprising it is, right, how very different they can be. But not only are they different, but we're told quite explicitly that, that Isaac and Rebekah, that they each had a favorite, right? Isaac loved Esau, and Rachel loved Jacob. We talked, uh, this was probably a few months ago, about research that had been done that revealed that you could tell by the way parents treat their children that they really do. About 60% of parents, you can tell who their favorite is by just watching kind of how they respond, right? And we, we don't know why it is that Esau, or we do know why Isaac liked Esau. It's because we're told he liked game. And so apparently Isaac is also kind of outdoorsy. But, but, but we don't know why it is that Rachel, by the way, Trying to get all these names right is very confusing. We don't know why Rachel exactly, why exactly she likes a Jacob. Uh, perhaps, perhaps Rachel is also indoorsy, or, or, or maybe, she, you know, maybe she just feels bad that Isaac loves Esau so much and she feels guilty about that. Or maybe, maybe it's because she can't get the Lord's words out of her mind with the fact that at some point Jacob was actually going to be the head, that he was going to be the leader, right? It's always made me wonder whether or not Rachel told Jacob what the Lord had told her. For some reason, I kind of believe that maybe she did. Maybe in a time when, when, when Jacob was in despair because Isaac clearly loved, his dad clearly loved his brother more than him, or, or, or maybe it was a time when he was frustrated because of the fact that even though he was born only seconds behind, that he would get just mere crumbs of the inheritance compared to Esau. We don't, we don't know why, but it just always seems like Jacob knows what's coming. 
And so there they are, Jacob and Esau. And, and Jacob, and as we come into this story, he's, he's there. He's got his little indoorsy hands, and he's, he, he's stirring his stew. He's made a great soup, and he's excited about this probably. And all of a sudden, Esau comes in. And, of course, what has Esau been doing? He's been out in the fields, right? This is what Esau does. And so he comes, he comes in, and, and he says, I'm, I'm famished. And he says, give me some of that, give me some of that red stuff. And actually, in the Hebrew, it doesn't say that. Actually, what it says is, give me some of that red, red. Right? There's almost, one commentator says, it's almost like he's like a child, and he just can't even use the right words. He just wants the red, red. Right? You know, kids that just say, I want the red, red. And so he, he can't even come up with stew. Just, just give me the red, red. And Jacob says, according to Genesis, okay, but first give me your birthright. Now, that seems a little bit abrupt to me, and, and we know that sometimes in these stories, right, maybe the whole story's not there. Sometimes you have to be concise. I mean, we can't get everything. I, if you like novels, I would encourage you perhaps during the time when we're going over this Jacob story to, to read a novel by Frederick Beekner uh, called Son of Laughter, and uh, it's kind of this interesting little, uh, he bases it on the story of Jacob, and, and in this particular scene, he, he kind of, he, he pictures it more. He has poetic license to do this, to kind of how he kind of builds up Esau. He just kind of keeps keeps building him up, right? Keeps making him want more and more until finally he zaps him with the birthright question. However it happens, it's not that important really. What's most critical is to see how clear and calm and calculated Jacob is. Esau just wants red, red. But Jacob is thinking very thoroughly about what to do right here. So finally, finally, Esau says, well, just, I don't care, I'm about to die. Right, which again is very much like a child. I mean, when I hear that, how often do I hear one of my children, right? Maybe they haven't eaten for five, ten minutes, and they're all of a sudden, it's like they're going to starve if they don't get food, right? They're just like, I'm starving, Daddy. I'm like, you just ate, but I'm starving. You can wait, right? Usually then, if you say, you want a banana, oh, I'm not that starving, right? No, but... So they want something, right? So Esau wants it, right? So he says, I don't care. You know what? Just, just give it to me. But, but, but Jacob, again, Jacob doesn't just give it to him. Jacob knows Esau. He says, well, I'm not just going to give you this too. He says, swear to me. In other words, make a covenant oath, right? I want us to remember this day. Right? And so, and so he made it. He said, all right, I swear to you. And then he eats the stew. But he doesn't actually just eat the stew. In fact, what's interesting is that he, he more gulps or inhales the stew. In fact, uh, in, in the Hebrew, the only other time in, Hebrew, in the Hebrew Bible when, when you see that word for eat there, it is when animals are eating. Right? So he is just slopping down. He is just slurping up this food. Right? You can picture this, right? A teenage boy after he's not eaten for a little while. You can just kind of see how he just kind of inhales all of the food. Right? And then he, he eats. We're told he ate, he drank, he rose, and he went his way. Right? And Robert Alder talks about the fact that, that the way that you just kind of do this, eat, you know, drink, rise, went his way. It's just this kind of herky-jerky, kind of rapid-fire way in which he does all of these things. And just like that, 
He sold his birthright. Now, this is a fascinating story. But I have to admit that as I began to think about growing up listening to this story, I began to wonder, I wasn't sure what Sunday school teachers, what they told me about the point of the story is. I don't know what they said because it's, it's a very intriguing story, but in some ways it's a little hard to understand what it may have to say to us today. In fact, all I remember really, I don't think my Sunday school teachers told me this, all I can remember thinking was that Jacob was really smart and that Esau was really stupid. And the moral of the story is, don't be, I know you're, I, you probably shouldn't, I won't say that if my kids are in here, but don't be stupid, right? That's the point. Don't be stupid. That's all I could, that's all I could think of. But then this week, and over the last couple of weeks as I've been thinking about this, I, I realized that, that perhaps it's a bit like what I said last week, when, when, when it's so important to go back to stories that we learned as a child, if you learned it as a child, because oftentimes our own experiences, personally and in others, can help open up new avenues for us to understand what these ancient stories are trying to tell us. Because I think that one of the things that this story is telling us is to look at the way in which Esau lives with only the present day in mind. Whereas Jacob lives in the present, but he does so always with the future in mind. I mean, think about this. You have Esau, right? Esau is overwhelmed. He is overcome by thinking about what he desires right then. His exaggerated words, the ways in which he, in which he eats, it indicates someone who's almost kind of animalistic, if you will, right? They just can't think about anything in the future. All they can think about is, I have to have whatever it is right now. Rather than thinking, taking a moment to think about the future and what it would entail if he gave up his birthright, if he gave up his inheritance, if it gave up his future, all he can think about is how hungry he is right now. He eats, he drinks, he rises, he goes away, he lives his life, it seems, in the absolute present, just going to this or this, whatever his passions, whatever his appetites, giving into them without thinking about how they might shape his future. Jacob, on the other hand, Jacob is clear and calculating and yet, yes, somewhat cunning to be sure. But he seems to always be thinking in the present about what is to come. Right? Walter Brueggemann asked this great question. I had never thought about it. Is, is don't you think Jacob's probably hungry as well? I mean, that, that, that he's sitting there and he's making the stew. He's probably hungry. Right? And if you know Esau, you know that whatever stew is in there, more than likely it's going to be eaten by Esau if he wants it. But Jacob thinks to himself, I can make some more red red. That's not a problem. I can make some more stew, and if I know that what I'm waiting for right now, this present-day hunger that I feel right now, is at some point going to pay off in the future. He did not allow his present-day hungers to ruin his future. 
And see, when I, I think when, I, when we begin to look at the story like that, it begins to open it up in other ways. Because I always kind of thought this was a little bit, if I can be so bold, a little bit of a weird story. Because it always felt strange to me that, that Esau would really give up his whole birthright, right? Just for, for one day's food, right? As a kid, it made me think like that. But as an adult, I have to admit, I mean, how often... Do we choose the immediate, the exciting, and the now at the cost of the future? How often do our appetites of all sorts keep us fully from experiencing what God might have in store for us? This past January... I did what many of us do in January, which is I reflected on December and how much I had eaten during December. And I realized that if I continued to eat like that, I was going to have to buy a whole new wardrobe, right? Or just get stretchy pants, which I'm okay with, really. So I decided, okay, I need to eat a bit less. And so I, I felt good doing that. But now here's the thing. When you begin to do that, you know this, it, 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 you know, it, it's usually a little painful, right? And so, uh, but, but so I have to always come up with a future picture in my head, right? That this is what, if I do this for six or eight months, this is what I will look like. So I, I did that, and this is what I came up with. Now, I realize you may be saying, okay, that's, that doesn't look real, right? That's a little bit too much. So I, I kind of, I adapted it. In six to eight months, maybe I could look like this. See, now that's a little bit more, this is actually what I looked like when I first met Megan. In my head, right? So, thanks to John Graviel for Photoshopping this, because clearly this is not real, right? But, but this is, you know, this is what I, this is my picture, right? This is what I have in my head. This is the future, and I feel good. And again, if you're anything like me, those first few days, you're like, you know, it's gonna be a little bit hard, but you're like, oh, man, Jerry, you're gonna look so good. It's gonna be incredible. This is great. And so you just keep going, and then there comes a day. For me, it was Thursday, just this past Thursday. Pastor Scott, Shelton, and I, we went to Hotbox because, you know, we like fine dining. And so we went to Hotbox, and, and it's also, you know, I mean, very healthy things there at Hotbox. And I could have gotten the salad, but the lunch special, what sounded better was pizza and breadsticks, right? I mean, a couple carbs, but it should be fine. And so, so we had the pizza, and we had the breadsticks, and the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm eating the pizza, I keep, I, this is the image, right? So, I mean, I was trying to listen to Scott, but mostly I was like, Jerry, be in control. So I ate the slice of pizza. And then I, I ate, I, I had one or two of the breadsticks, but I left the rest of the breadsticks in the bag. I couldn't believe it, but this was still clear. The picture of what was going to be was still very clear to me. I felt great. And then I, I went, we went back, and, and Scott had driven, so I had to bring the breadsticks in with me. And, and, and so I, I put them down on the desk, and I, and I began to kind of think through even more. I'm thinking through Esau. And, oh, Esau, he's so silly, Esau. Why would he give up so much of his future just for his present-day appetite? And I was all thinking about that, and then all of a sudden this happened, which is... It began, it began with a whisper, and it just said, here I am. Don't I look good? And I began to smell it, right? And it almost began to sing to me, right? And I just kept saying, no, no, Jerry. And it kept saying, don't worry about the future. You'll be 
fine. You can, you can still look like that. Just eat these five breadsticks. And I kept trying to type about Esau, and it kept singing to me. And, 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 and so I just I didn't know what to do. And so I realized that it was a battle between these two pictures here, right? The one on the left and the one on the right. And it just kept getting fuzzy and in and out of focus. And my hungers were so strong, right? Until finally I shredded that bag open and ate every crumb of those breadsticks. No, I didn't. I waited until after I'd played basketball and I burned 300 calories that night and then ate 1,000 calories of breadsticks. But it felt like, but, but, but here's the point. On the left, you have Jacob. On the right, you have Esau. And in between, you have all of us. Because the reality is that all of us wrestle between the story of Jacob and the story of Esau. All of us, of our own, we have our own proclivities. And the culture tries to reinforce this, where we are continually shaped to listen to our voracious appetites for the now, for the present day, rather than allowing the future to shape how we are acting in the present. We are so swept up in our appetites, in the splashy, in the spectacular, in the joy of right now, that we lose sight of the future of the long road ahead of us. Right? Maybe, it's, maybe it's the jobs that we take. Maybe it's the, the way that we move. Maybe we, we move jobs all the time or we, we move from place to place because we love the excitement of, of right now. We never put down roots that, that might help us actually long into the future if we were willing to do that. But we just love the excitement of, of moving from something new to the next. Maybe, maybe it's the amount of time that we spend on our phones or on Facebook. You know this is my favorite topic. Where we get so excited, the dopamine that is released whenever we see we got a like is so exciting that we get so caught up in that that we don't even keep track of the hours we have wasted that could have been used towards building a better future. Maybe it's the flashy clothes that we have. Maybe it's the car that we bought. Maybe it's the house that we know we didn't really need. But man, when we thought about ourselves inside that house, it made us so happy that we weren't worried one iota about the fact that we were mortgaging our future. Maybe it's a relationship with a spouse and you've been with the person for so long and they used to be so exciting, but now they're just kind of dull and it seems like it might be more exciting to move towards something, to chase after something that's right now and that makes you happy, forgetting about the covenant and the long-term future that you had planned, whatever it may be. All of us in a very and myriad of ways struggle with allowing the future to shape how we live in the present. Uh, the, the thought that came to my mind, and it's a little cheesy, I will admit, but is that we sometimes are so enticed by the stew of right now, of what is exciting right now, that we forget our call to be stewards of the future that God desires for all of us. We get so enamored by the stew of right now and whatever is exciting now that we forget our call to be stewards of the future. And I think, not surprisingly, I think the church can oftentimes fall into that stew trap. 
There is always a danger that as we go along God's mission, because we oftentimes don't see fruit nearly as quickly as we might like, we would prefer at times to just settle for the stew of something that is exhilarating, that makes us feel good right now or every Sunday, rather than asking whether or not what we are doing right now is helping us to be stewards for the kingdom that God is calling us to. And I want us to think about that as we watch this brief video. Hi, my name is Greg Rankin, and I am a member at Zinesville Presbyterian Church. I got uh, involved here at Straight Up uh, just through some others at ZPC that told me about it, and I wanted to come and check it out. Like anything normally, when you're given to others, you end up getting back more than you're giving. And so it's just been great fun for me and just getting to see these really neat young men and women. And it's just neat to see how straight up is impacting them, giving back to the community, and then in turn, so many of them are giving back. Why do we come straight up? For inspiration. Inspiration motivate us. They tell us to stay out of trouble and keep us out of trouble, actually, honestly. Yeah, keep us out of trouble. It's a lot going on. The reason why I come to straight up, it feels like another home to me. I mean, I come here. I feel welcoming by everyone that's here. Um, I learn something new every day. Uh, it's like a second church, a second home. The kids are just so welcoming and give you hugs and you just feel like you're a part even though we've just been here a couple times. You can just feel the love and the family Ooh. that you guys have. It showed me a great example of things and it made me feel more at home and it made me treat everyone closer with, like, treat them like family. Straight Up has impacted me by showing me the true meaning of family and what it really means to love others and strangers as family. The people here, like Miss Jill, Miss Erin, I thank them so much, and I do love them like a the family. It's been a blessing. I love seeing the kids. They're so happy. and made me feel great. People who are considering getting involved, I would just say come on down and find a place to plug in because there's a lot of neat kids to get to know. Come, be a part. These kids are wonderful. It's just it's just exciting, full of energy, and you can feel Christ's love throughout this. You really can't go wrong and straight up. It changed me, I guess, like, changed my life a little bit. I'm more nice to people. I'm not so negative. It's the highlight of my week. Straight up is the best thing that ever happened to me. I love straight up. It just impacted my life, you know, in a positive way. It really holds a special place in my heart. And one thing that you don't know, you know, I've been going here for years. One thing that you don't know, this is a lot of fun. This will bring a lot of joy to your hearts. So come on down and straight up. Said it so much better than I could any day. So I wanted, to, I wanted you to see this video because I, I wanted you to be clear about two things. One is about the work we're doing with Straight Up, and one is for you to understand, I think, the strategy of our congregation and what we do. So Straight Up is, a, is, is, a congr is, a, is, a, is obviously, I mean, it, it deals with a... a uh, a, a very different kind of folks than what you oftentimes see here, right? Different races oftentimes, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different familial backgrounds. And, you know, it's just down around 70th, 67th, something like that in Michigan. It's not that far away. 
And yet, we, we see that. We see the divide that oftentimes is between folks south of 465 and north of 465. We read the Gospels. We know that they will come from north and south, east and west. Now, you usually think about the globe. I think even here we can just think about 465, right? They will come from north of 465 and south of 465, right? East and west, which is a calling then for us to kind of live that out, right? We know that. We, we, we get that, right? And, and, and straight up is, is a great ministry for that. But here's the thing. Our, oftentimes, our proclivities as churches is to rush in and fix everything as quickly as possible and then leave. In other words, most often what we like to do is we like the stew of reaching out and then just simply coming back where we feel a little bit better perhaps about ourselves. We like the exciting. But what we don't realize is that so often that does not make long-term kingdom changes. And almost every leader of a ministry like Straight Up will tell you the worst possible thing you can do is to get engaged with, with in their lives, of the kids in their, in their lives, and then just leave. Because they have experienced that so often. And so one of the things that I love about Straight Up, and one of the things I want you to hear is some of you may be saying, well, Straight Up, I hear about a little bit. How come we don't advertise it more? How come we don't do more? How come we don't say more? I want you to know the reason we don't is because of me. Because what I am convinced of is that this is something that we move on slowly. That we slowly begin to build relationships. My greatest fear is that we have a big splash, a big straight up day, right? And we get all involved and we pump in some money and we do one event and then it's over. That's getting caught up in the stew, it seems to me, rather than what it means to be a steward of God's kingdom. And the way that you will see these changes begin to happen is when we begin to develop relationships with folks all across the city, but especially in this circumstance with those on the northwest side. And the more that we can slowly begin to develop relationships by having meals right now, we've begun doing little projects, we have thoughts about what to do this summer, right? We may one day have have, you know, we may have Aaron and Jill come, in, come up here, the leaders of Straight Up, and, and tell us even more about it. And I hope that we get excited about it. But I want you to know that what is more important when it comes to the strategy of whose EPC is, is that we are thinking not just about the stew and what makes us feel good and look good. We are thinking about how can we really be stewards of God's coming kingdom by the ways in which we are slowly beginning to build relationships and trust and love across all of these divides. So that God's coming kingdom can genuinely take place. Right? That, that's not just our, our looking at straight up. This is our, our looking at our home groups, right? I know that this is why we keep talking about home groups. Here's why I know that home groups are not spectacular. Home groups are not exciting. There's no razzle-dazzle in most home groups. There is one home group, actually, where there is. But most of them are not. You know what it is? It is slowly and meticulously building relationships. It is building relationships each and every time you gather together with one another. It is building a relationship with Jesus that reminds us yet again that it is not just something that should shape what we do on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, but instead should shape all of our lives. It is a slow 
build. If they were, again, to say, hey, what's the fastest way to grow your church? It would not be, I think we should develop home groups. No, it would be to do something more exciting, right? It would be for me to stand up here and juggle for you, which would be really cool. It would be for me to do something like that, right? But what I am convinced of is that we will not chase after the stew because we are concerned about being stewards of God's kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean that exciting things don't happen at times through home groups. I want you to know one thing that I'm, I'm excited about, right, which is, that, which is that between the fall and the winter, at the end of the fall and the beginning of winter home groups, we lost about 10 people. Which I realize, that may not feel exciting to you, but what's exciting, what I want you to know about with that is first and foremost, that it, that it verifies what we have always said about home groups, which is that you can leave them. You can get out. Right? That's important. We always try to tell you that. You're signing up for 10 weeks, and you can get out, and you will not get in trouble. Right? We will not shame you much. Right? We know that there are times when you go in, and maybe it's not the right home group, or maybe this isn't the right season. And that's okay. But secondly, I want you to know this. We had over 50 people, new people, sign up for home groups between fall and winter. That's obscene. In fact, I made Scott check it twice to make sure that it was true because I don't want to stand up here and lie to you all, right? I mean, I don't mind Photoshopping something, but I don't want to generally lie, Right? Over 50 people, which I think is exciting and I think is a sign that in many ways we are beginning to see the value, not just of home groups, but the value of thinking we are not just going to be about the stew, we are going to be about stewards of God's coming kingdom. That's why I talk about loving your literal neighbor. Again, if you look at books to say, how do you help a church to grow really fast? It is not, we think that you should slowly begin to love and to get to know your literal neighbor. That will not happen quickly. We have some neighbors who live just about a block and a half away who we've kind of slowly, very slowly begin to get to know. And you can just kind of tell their reservation primarily because I'm a pastor. I genuinely believe that. I don't usually make stuff up. I, I think that that's really kind of true, right? And, and over the last couple of years, it's been very slow. And then I'll probably talk about this again in another sermon. So forget the story after I'm done with it. But, you know, we, we, we had some folks over and they came over and they, and it was great. I shouldn't tell this story. I'm going to ruin it for a future sermon. But it was great because they came over and they said, well, should I share this? They said, we've got a party, you know, that we, have, that we really, we got to go pick up a kid at a party. But we'll, so we decided we'd just come here real quick, right? And the party was like a half a block away to pick up the kid, right? It was totally an excuse to get it out, right? Which is great, except for the fact that two hours later, they'd gone and gotten their kid and come back and they were still there. That was awesome. And it took two years to get to that place. It's slow, but here's the thing I am convinced is that for us to think about what is our strategy here at ZPC, who are we? It is never to get caught up with, be, with the stew. My hope and prayer is that you as individuals, that this is not just a communal thing, that as individuals that you allow yourself because you know the culture and your own proclivities to kind of think about what is present day is to let go, is to pass on the stew in order to focus on what might I do now that helps me to be a steward of God's coming kingdom. It may not always be splashy, but I am convinced that that daily walk with Jesus and with one another, bit by bit, gets us closer and closer to God's coming kingdom. Pass on 
the stew, sisters and brothers, no matter how good that red, red looks. And never forget our call to be a people about God's kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. God, we are continually tempted. Continually tempted to give in to the exciting, the exhilarating, the celebrity, the now. You call us, Lord, to live in the present, to not act as if all we are concerned about is the future to come, but you call for us to live in such a way that makes it clear how we are living for your coming kingdom. Help each of us as individuals. Help us as a community, God, to be able to do so in a way that makes it clear that we are less caught up with the stew and more caught up in your call to be stewards for your future. It's in your name we pray. Amen.